Florida State with some surprising domination over LSU. Georgia and Alabama Coast. Clemson might be Clemson in again. And is Penn State the best team in the Big Ten? All this coming up next on the Hopeless Sports Bank Tit Podcast. So we open up with the matchup in Orlando between Florida State and LSU heading into this game. I actually was very high on LSU. I actually have them as my winner of the SEC West during the 2023 season. I fully expected them to come out and win by probably a couple of touchdowns or so just off of the anticipated uh, running ability that LSU would have and the fact that I thought Jaden Daniels in year two under this system at LSU with Brian Kelly that um, they would be able to take the next step offensively. Guys like Malik Neighbors, guys like Mason Taylor would become that much more of a focal point in the offense. Malik Neighbors obviously having a big year. But that's not at all what we saw last night. Uh, the Seminoles of Florida State, Played him very close in the first half. It was a very back-and-forth game. Florida State got some key red zone stops where they left LSU without any points, I believe, on two trips. And then in the second half, it was the Keon Coleman show. The transfer from Michigan State just flat-out took over the game for Florida State. He was able to get open on a, a slot fade route against Major Burns, and that was really the dagger late in the game. And then they used him... Uh, over the middle, lined him up in a variety of different spots. Um, the LSU defense was rather disappointing. We knew they were going to lose some of that interior pressure with Mason Smith being suspended for this game, but I still expected a guy by the name of Harold Perkins to actually have some kind of key impact on the game, but there wasn't really any moment in the game where he really made some splash play Um I don't know if there was just he was unable to get comfortable with how much he was being moved around defensively or whether he was just uh, that much of a point of emphasis for a very a very seasoned and very experienced Florida State offensive line, but he did not have much of an impact at all on this game. Florida State did take a little bit of time to get the run game going, especially the counterplay that they run a lot of out of the shotgun with, um, I believe, Beeson is his name. Uh, I could Benson, actually, is his name. Um, but they were able to really open that up in the second half once that started working. The uh, play-action game off of that was really able to take a lot of pressure off of Jordan Travis. He had a, a few questionable decisions, mainly a play where uh, he obviously threw a pick immediately following a muffed punt by LSU. And then uh, I also think of a play where um, he kind of just floated it into the middle of the defense, and luckily for him, it landed incomplete. But it was a little bit of – there was a little bit of – I guess he was a little bit erratic, I guess would be a good way to describe that at times. But when the plays needed to be made, the, the team that made the timely plays was Florida State, and that is what allowed them to pull away in this game. The defense especially, especially the pass rush with guys like Jared Verse, really got after Jaden Daniels in the second half, really limited the passing attack. There were also 
a couple of plays, a couple missed throws by Jaden Daniels that really hurt LSU, mainly thinking of the play. This was either early fourth quarter or late third quarter where uh, he had a receiver running wide open. There was essentially the outs- the boundary corner ran, did a bail technique, but he kind of just lost track of where he was, ran up the, the seam a little bit, leaving the receiver wide open down uh, outside the hash. And he, Jaden Daniels, uh, somewhat underthrew the ball to the point it still it could have been caught but given the positioning and the way that the, the defender broke back on the ball it was a very tough catch whereas if Jaden Daniels would have fully let him out in stride then that would have ended up in a walk-in touchdown for LSU and who knows how the rest of the game goes after that rather than them having to play from multiple possessions behind that much later in the game. So, um, based on what I saw last night and, or, or not last night, this past weekend, uh, in Orlando, what can I take away from that game? I think we have kind of a, a couple of key points. I think the obvious question is, is LSU overrated or is Florida state just that good? And I'm going to be Switzerland a little bit and say somewhere in the middle. I still think I still think that LSU can be that probably that 10 and two type team. Maybe they can come up with another upset or even I don't even want to call it an upset just yet. Given we're one week in, but another win against Alabama. Uh, maybe they can beat some teams like Texas A&M as well out in the West. But um, is the consistency going to be there for enough to now run the table and to have a chance to make the playoff. Uh, I'm not sure about that. I think at this point um, they essentially go as far as Jaden Daniels allows them to go. I obviously am not nearly as in tuned with LSU as some people are, and I'm not in the practice facility every day like Brian Kelly and his coaching staff are, but my instincts kind of tell me that they should be playing Garrett Nussmeyer at this point. Given the personnel that they have, I think they have a strong enough run game and of itself without the quarterback as much of a threat of to run. But I think would would be able to help that run game and also add an extra element to the offense would be Garrett Nussmeyer starting because with the receiving core that you have, with the plethora of weapons that you have, to get the ball to uh, the, the explosive plays could be uh, one after the other with him leading that offense. And I think you just kind of have to live with maybe the turnovers going up a little bit um, and expecting your defense to be able to get some timely stops here and there. But um, at this point they've gone more with a conservative approach. And I think at times that's really what limited them offensively. Uh, and obviously there are a couple of questionable decisions, uh, a little bit of hindsight 2020, to be honest with, um, going forward early in the game that, uh, LSU had the biggest one I question is obviously the first drive, but not just for the sake of him going forward. That's that in of itself. I'm not going to, um, criticize Brian Kelly for, for me, the point of emphasis is the fact that you actually had two pretty big plays one after the other to get to first and goal 
inside the five. So when you, you, you're, you're going up, you have first and goal inside the five. You obviously should expect your team to be able to at least hit a, in two or three run plays, be able to punch it in. Maybe two, and then if maybe a third time you go and you try a pass play if they've just sold out against the run both times before that and gotten a stop. But the LSU offense had, I believe there was a, a procedural penalty, a false start, and then they just couldn't run the ball later on at that point. So I think it just got to where your offense is kind of limping along there in the red zone that much. You just kind of have to take what the defense has given you and take the points. And then later on they had another drive where a similar kind of situation happened. They again came away with no points. And obviously I think it changes the way that the game is called. So I'm not really going to be one of those guys that's just – does the math and adds two touchdowns on to what LSU had heading into half, which it would have been 21 to seven. I don't really think the game of football really works like that, but um, it's definitely something to keep note of. I, especially with the loss that Clemson had last night to Duke kind of question who can, challenge florida state as that the top team in the acc um i think that what we did see from florida state as a positive um was probably more so than any kind of offensive explosiveness because we've kind of we're kind of used to that at least as far as last year from mike norvell but the defense seemed much improved from what we were used to with what caused some losses to Clemson and some losses to Wake Forest, teams like that, where the explosive plays on the on the defensive side just became too much for the offense to be able to overcome. But with that, they were able to cut down on that. Obviously, Jared Verse coming back for another year when he could have been a top 10 pick in the NFL draft is really going to be able to help that pass rush. Uh, but the secondary as well, uh, outside of a couple of blunders that were uncapitalized by LSU, I think with Pat Sertan Sr. as the new DB coach, uh, really was able to win some one-on-ones. You had a drive I can think of early on in the game where they went, I don't remember who the corner was, but they had Malik Neighbors one-on-one. And obviously you would expect him to be able to win that matchup, but they went to him two plays in a row. And both times the corner for FSU, the same guy was actually able to hold up in coverage and draw two incompletions. So that in of itself is shown just those kind of situations, because obviously with when you're facing some of these top teams with the talent that they have, you kind of have to pick your poison a little bit and have these times where you can leave a guy out on the on his own to see if he can hold up and when those guys are able to hold up that's a big indicator that you have the kind of talent and you're developing that talent at these key defensive positions so i think it could be a time where maybe um florida state has finally turned the corner from the days from the end of jimbo fisher and through the short run of uh, willie taggart to where mike norvell has turned that program around but 
We'll have to see how things continue to shake out the rest of this season. Obviously, with um, Alabama and Georgia, you have two of the probably the biggest brand, the two biggest brands in the SEC, both facing some cupcake opponents. Both teams got off to a slow start. Uh, I will just say this and end with this as far as those two teams go. When you're playing a team like that, I don't really think there's anything you can take away from those games because they're really they aren't going to show anything against that kind of talent and they're not going to be motivated to play well against that kind of talent because they know what they can do essentially at will a little bit. So with that and because of that, I think it's really a situation where you just kind of take that win or that win and you just move on to the next week like it really didn't happen um, because you don't want to get too ahead of yourself and you'll have a lot of the times these – you'll have lackluster offenses look really good. You'll have really good defenses look a little bit not as good because they give up a play because of a guy falling asleep at the wheel a little bit, something like that. So it's best to just kind of wait until we get to some real opponents to then – draw our conclusions so um, that pretty much decides the point with those two teams Um, I think the other key game I guess somewhat key game I think we could look at is uh, Virginia and Tennessee Tennessee obviously had I think a lot of unanswered questions heading into week one because of all the changes going on offensively with a new quarterback and a lot of new weapons taking obviously the the tandem of Jalen Hyatt and Hendon Hooker is gone so uh, that in of itself is a huge chunk of the offense now being that production has to be made up elsewhere essentially so, um, how did Joe Milton and, and company fare there? Um, think there's a little bit of give and take. Um, Milton definitely had a few throws where he sailed them, was inaccurate with the ball. Uh, his tip in typical Joe Milton fashion, kind of overthrew it and put the ball up for grabs elsewhere. A few times it came back to bite him. Uh, a few times it didn't. Um, and then obviously you have the dropped deep ball in the f- first quarter that I bet 99 times out of 100, that's a walk-in touchdown, but it was dropped. Um, so you do have that going the other way. I-, I liked what I saw from the running backs themselves in terms of being able to get yards after contact and make some guys miss, mainly Jabari Small, who actually I think looked bigger than last year. But the offensive line did not really get the kind of drive I would expect. And in pass protection, there was a lot to be desired for Tennessee, especially when um, you're facing a team like Virginia. That's one where you really want um, Joe Milton to be able to pitch a tent in the pocket and just kind of take his time, make his reads, find the open receiver, but uh, they actually gave up a couple of sacks, so it wasn't wasn't a great look offensively. Defensively, 
they did a pretty good job, I think, uh, with the front seven. I still would like to see a better offense to decide whether or not Tennessee is going to be able to limit some of the big plays. But given the the type of offense they run, I think that's kind of always going to be a question mark. And in terms of whether you, in terms of more of how many big plays are you going to give up, and are you going to have more than you give up? It's kind of going to be their mo, would be my guess. But uh, overall. They they looked pretty solid, and I think they will definitely be able to, in large part, pick up where they left off compared to last year's offense. They just need that defense to make a couple of strides and keep the ball in front, and they can be a team that really is able to keep 99% of the country on their heels. And I think with this, if there's a team that's going to benefit from the uh new clock rules i think that's them because that does somewhat limit the number of times where they're just going to hang the defense out to dry um and makes it a little bit easier to play complimentary football when you need to um but we'll, we'll obviously learn more as the season goes on with that one finally i do also want to quickly hit on something that um, did not really expect to be a key point of emphasis or I don't want to say a point of emphasis, um, an idea, a light bulb, so to speak, uh, this early in the year, but um, it might actually be the case. Based on what we saw with all three of the top teams in the Big Ten East, that being Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn State, uh, in no particular order, um, it's looking like in what I would somewhat consider a do or die year for James Franklin in a year where he's going to have as good of a chance as he can. Um, Penn state probably looked like the best team of the three big 10 East powerhouses. Um, I was very impressed with what Drew Allar did coming into this season. I was high on them just on what they had done in previous years with Sean Clifford at quarterback and thinking that, in all honesty, just the move on, the move from Sean Clifford to another quarterback and the little bit more predictability and fewer turnovers would actually be able to, in of itself, improve the overall offense of the Nittany Lions, but that is they they got a lot more than that from Drew Alar. He had multiple big time throws. I saw uh the very first touchdown of Penn State season was probably the best play offensive play I think I saw all weekend, uh where he stepped up in the pocket, threw a absolute laser beam to the left hash on the run, hit his man in stride where only he could get it, and it led to a walk-in touchdown. Um, I think comparing him to J.J. McCarthy and Kyle McCord, he had the best game of the three of those guys. Uh, McCord, we'll have to see what his progress is. Obviously, um, he, like Alar, is making his made his first start of his career, so... Um, Wait, that's that's not true. McCord actually made a start against Tulsa last year. 
Um, but with that, it's some guys just the in game reps learn they learn at different speeds with that. But um, overall, I think Alar looked very poised. He looked very he played very with confidence, and he definitely had some uh, highlight reel type throws that um, just from what I saw from the escapability and, and the improv skills kind of thing from him, uh, as well as what Manny Diaz was able to showcase defensively. I love his aggressive play style defensively. Um, I think that it's a situation where if they're, they're just kind of built, I think, to play against both style of teams. When they if they want to play a defensive ground and pound old school Big Ten type game against Michigan, which is what Michigan likes to do, I think they will be able to hold up fairly well. Uh, the offensive line has been much improved for Penn State, so that should help them with the run game. The duo of Katron Allen and Nick Singleton is very good. Uh, I do want to hit on. I I just from a pure fan football perspective how about Penn State again breaking out the T formation in the goal line is there anything more just old school ground and pound than a good old-fashioned T formation it's it was just beautiful to to see them execute that very well with a, a touchdown run from Nick Singleton using that um, going back to what they also did in the Rose Bowl last year against Utah but um if they want to play that round and pound game, I trust that just off of consistency, what Manny Diaz has done as a play caller defensively, the kind of talent that uh, Penn State has been able to consistently recruit and put out at the linebacker positions and the edge positions, I think they can hold up there. Um, and then if they're going up against Ohio State at this point, I feel very confident that um, – if it turns into a shootout type of game, obviously I'm not going to expect every Ohio State game to end the way that Indiana game did. I think they played it fairly conservative as well. Um, but there were still uh, a few hiccups here and there, but largely I think offensively that'll be fixed. Um, so if it turns into an Ohio State type shootout, then given what we saw from Drew Alar, I think they are definitely a team that could be able to match them score for score in those type of in the uh whoever has the ball last wins type of games where you just are waiting for a key turnover late but uh i i think we still for me to fully say they are going to win the big 10 and make the playoff i will have to at least see them beat one of those teams and that's the beauty of it for them they don't have to beat both teams this year they only have to beat one and i would assume with how we've seen these previous playoff games go and pre uh, scenarios go i should say that uh, if you if you go 11 and 1 and your only loss is to the team that ends up winning the big 10 like ohio state did last year I would fully expect those teams to end up uh, in the playoffs. So we'll have to see what that situation looks like by early December.
One more final note before we close out. I do want to talk about, I think, what was overall the best game in general of the weekend, and that was TCU-Colorado. That was a game that I was actually somewhat surprised. I really didn't know what to expect from Colorado. There had been a lot of um, opinions going either direction that they were going to immediately turn it around, that it was going to be an uh, – train wreck of a season for them. I believe it was Tom Luganbill said they might have one of the worst rosters in the entire country. Um, Surely that was not the case given the fact that they won in Fort Worth against the TCU Horned Frogs on Saturday. Um, Just the top end talent alone, especially I think this early in the year was good enough to be the main factor in terms of them being able to win that game, mainly Travis Hunter being able to really limit the passing attack. He had multiple picks and a receiving touchdown with over 100 yards catching. So that's a very early start to the Heisman campaign for him. And um, there was a tremendous game from Shador Sanders, son of Deion Sanders, obviously, um, with I believe he had something like over – 400 yards passing and five touchdowns with a tremendous completion percentage. He was very accurate, very efficient. He got the ball to his playmakers in space. They had some flashy throws on some deep balls to Travis Hunter. He had some plays where it was uh, it was beautiful simplicity, so to speak, with uh, throwing it to a beating a blitz by getting the ball out quickly. In Tom Brady fashion, I was fairly impressed with him. Um, and then the the running game as well from Colorado. I was just – the overall trench play was pleasantly surprising for them um, in terms of how much progress he was going to be able to uh, make in such a short period of time. But uh, I think that what he he's done then – has really shown that um, from that, I think Colorado is now the one of the top teams to uh, deal with in the Pac-12 going forward. We will have to see how well this TCU win ages. Maybe with how much talent TCU lost to both the draft to the draft, um, with I believe it was only three returning starters for them from last year's team. Um, Josh Wiley, I know being one of them off the top of my head, but, um, we will see what happens heading into next week. The premier game for, uh, week two, I, I'm not sure yet, but we will probably get, I think a couple more intriguing matchups, uh, heading into this next part of the season with, uh, think more and more tune-up games out of the way. Obviously, we haven't gotten into conference play yet, but in general, college football is back, and it's very exciting. So more to come there. That's going to conclude this episode of the Hopeless Sports Mantic Podcast. Make sure to like and follow the podcast on whichever platform you listen to it on. Make sure to follow me on Twitter at TaylorBell222 to get show updates and... Just to follow me on Twitter to get the 
uh, some of my uh, opinions and thoughts throughout the college football scene. And make sure to check out the Southern Gentleman Sports Show on every Saturday on the Ticket Sports Network at WeAreSportsRadio.com. I'm on typically around 9.45 Eastern talking about the Georgia Bulldogs, but definitely listen to as much of the show as you can in order to get your full fix in for all of the latest and up-to-date college football news every single Saturday. Thanks again for listening. This is the Hopeless Sports Mantid Podcast.